creations, Lord. Thank you that we are found in you uh, for all who believe in you. Lord, we pray that um, today that as we look at your word, that I would be, be able to preach it boldly and clearly. And we pray, Lord, that you would use it uh, to, to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ and uh, to build us up in, in our faith in him. Lord, we do pray that as we look today at how Jesus is our great high priest, we would see that, that you are the one who is able to help us uh, and, and the, the only one who can do that. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that knowing that we would come to you, uh, that we would, we would not try and hide from you, but that we would regularly always be coming to you uh, and, and drawing near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever met someone uh, and thought they just get me? They understand what I'm, what I'm about, what I'm like. Uh, they, maybe they have some shared interests, or they've kind of gone through the same stuff that you've gone through, and they just, they just get you. Um, I remember when I met my wife, I had that experience. She's like, she gets me. She, yeah, I'm a bit weird, but she, she understands me. Um, yeah, and 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 I think it's 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 just interesting when when we meet someone like that, isn't it? That we that we, we there's a there's a kind of like a shared understanding that you have with that person. Um, has has anyone experienced that kind of thing where you meet someone and they they get you? Yeah, great, that's cool. Um, if you haven't, then you're going to meet someone today who gets you. So, um, but but it's 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 worth thinking about that because uh, if someone gets you, that means that they 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 kind of understand, they they know what it's like. Uh, they they can they can sympathize with you. They can go. They can be with you through the the ups and downs of life. Um, but I think it's also important to realize that that sometimes it's possible in our world that someone could get us, but then not really be able to help us. Like they might be able to understand what you're going through, but not actually be able to do anything to help you through that. Um, with Jesus, uh, as we're going to see today, he gets us. Like whoever whoever you are. Jesus knows what it's like to, to be a person. We'll look at that in a moment. But not only does Jesus know what it's like, Jesus can actually help us. And, and he's acted decisively in history in order to be able to do just that. Uh, he, he came to this earth. Uh, this is what we are looking forward to in this time of, of Advent. We're looking forward to that, that Christmas day where, where Jesus came down to this earth to rescue his people. And now we live in anticipation of his return again where he'll come to bring us home. Now, we're going to uh, have a look at this passage and work our way through, but keep in mind that question of someone getting you. All right, since then we have a great high priest. That's how this section starts. This section is in the book of Hebrews, which is a letter uh, to God's people, and um, it's, it's some people have different ideas as to who wrote it. Um, historically, the view is always that it was Paul, um, but, but this... Uh, this section comes in, in the context of uh, this focus on Jesus being great and glorious. He's been describing how Jesus is amazing and supreme. He is God himself. Um, and, and we see how he's even better than Moses. Uh, we've been working our way through Exodus. So it's really interesting to have this kind of Exodus background of how Moses was amazing, but Jesus is, is, is infinitely more amazing than Moses. Um, and the rebellion that the people had uh, gone after uh, in the, in this previous chapter. Uh, there's there's warnings as well to not go that way. But now we get this this we're told of of Jesus, this this great high priest. And so, what does it mean to be uh, the great high priest? Well, uh, Jesus is the mediator between us and God. 
the only mediator. Um, and he's the, the only one who could do this. So a priest uh, is, is someone who offers sacrifices. In the Old Testament, uh, there are lots of uh, priests um, and there's lots of different sacrifices. If you want to read more about that, there's lots of things in Leviticus and other parts of the Bible where you can read about all of those different sacrifices and how God said uh, when, when, when there was a particular thing that needed a particular sacrifice, here's the, the description of what you need to do. Here's what the priest will do, all of those things. But there's, there's a high priest who sits above all of those um, who would be allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, um, which is the, the, like the, the place where God's presence was um, in a special way uh, above the, the ark. And so this, this saying that Jesus is the great high priest is telling us that he is, uh, he is the one who, who is not, not just sometimes uh, in, in the presence of God. No, he is God himself. And, um, and so the first kind of big idea that we get from looking at, at this passage today is that Jesus is fully God. He is, he is God himself. He's not partly God. He's not a bit God. No, he's fully God, the, the almighty creator and ruler and sustainer and savior and redeemer is Jesus Christ, who, who he took on flesh to become a human. We'll look at that in a bit as well. But fully God is kind of the big first idea. No one else could be that great high priest other than someone who is fully God. No one else could, could always be in that perfect presence of God other than God himself without God intervening to save us. So it says here that he passed through the heavens. Uh, Jesus, uh, at the beginning of Hebrews, it says that after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's Hebrews 1 verse 3. Jesus came down from heaven to rescue us. Uh, and when he had finished the task, he went back up to heaven where he reigns as king of the universe forevermore. So he has passed through the heavens. He passed. He came down to become a human, uh, but he's also gone back up. And, and this, this kind of control over the whole universe and over where he is and all of that is, is what the kind of control that God has. Well, none of us can go, oh, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to just ascend to heaven right now and then I'm going to descend from heaven and then I'm going to, you know, do whatever. No, we can't do that. Jesus is God and he has that power. He's the king of the universe and he has passed through the heavens. He passed through the heavens in, in coming down, uh, but he's also passed through the heavens in going up. Now he, now he rules um, forevermore, king of the universe, crowned and reigning, fully God. It says Jesus, the son of God. You see that? Uh, so Jesus is a name um, and his name means the Lord saves. So uh, that's, that's worth bearing in mind because it tells us something of Jesus' identity. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, it says that you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's, that's all tied up with Jesus' identity. He is, he is the Lord and he's the Lord who's come to save. Uh, and so this, uh, this use of the name Jesus is, is not, it's not an accident that Jesus was given the name Jesus. No, it's, it's his name that tells us something about him, that he is the Savior and he is the Lord. Now, Son of God is a title. Uh, it's a kingly title in the Old Testament that was given to, uh, to kings, particularly in the line of David. So you can see this in things like 2 Samuel 7, where God makes promises to David and he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, your son is going to be a son to me. So the son of David is going to be 
the son of God, and he says that he's going to rule forever on the throne. And so God makes these promises to David. Also in Psalm 2, we see uh, the, there's the Lord's anointed. There's the king who's been, who's been, who is ruling over all of these things. And so that's, that's also a, the son of God. So we, we see in the Old Testament that the son of God is the king. That's, that's, um, that's a special title used for, for the king. But it takes on even more significance when it's used to refer to Jesus, not just um, like, say, David or, or, um, or one of the other kings in the Old Testament. It takes on special significance when referring to Jesus. In, in John chapter 5, verse 18, um, we read this. Uh, also, in, in 17 to 18, Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews there understood that what Jesus was claiming when he said, my father, when I'm, I'm the son, wasn't merely uh, that he's the king, but yes, that he's the king, but even more than that, that he is God himself. They understood that that claim that Jesus was making was to be the Son of God and God the Son, the, the, the ruler, the creator, um, saying, my father's been working until now and I'm working. It's, it's, it's very clear that Jesus is, is, is showing his identity. He's, he's making claims to be God. Um, and so when we look at this and we go, well, Jesus is saying, I'm God. And, and, and he says it in numerous places in the scriptures. I mean, you can find them all around the place. Um, and you look at that and you go, well, why would Jesus being God be necessary for him to be our great high priest? Well, if you think about it, God made us all and all of us have sinned against God. So there's a breakdown of relationship there. By, by naturally, we, we go our own way. We don't naturally go God's way. And so there's a breakdown of the relationship. So we need someone to restore us to God, to reconcile us to God, to bridge that gap, to, to make us right with Him. But that can't happen by any of us just trying to climb up to Him. We, we, we've, 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 we've broken that relationship and there's no, there's no ladder we could climb. You know, the guys made the Tower of Babel, they didn't get to God, did they? They, 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 didn't, they didn't bridge the gap or reconcile themselves to Him. No, None of us could actually, by anything that we do, make ourselves right with God. We're, we're, not, we're not capable of doing that. We've got ourselves into this mess and we can't get ourselves out of it. That's, that's, that's what, what our sin is. It's a, it's a situation where we find ourselves under God's righteous, just judgment without any, any, any hope of saving ourselves. There's nothing that we could do. Um, you know, if, even if we all stopped sinning right now and just started doing good works for the rest of our lives, never thought another evil thought again. We've all sinned already. So we all deserve his condemnation and his judgment. And so why is it so critical that Jesus is God? It's because without Jesus being God, he, he could not reconcile us to God. It's absolutely critical that Jesus is God in order to be able to reconcile us to him the only one with that kind of power and that kind of ability is God himself he he made us and he can save us we we can't save ourselves and so we need God to come and rescue us and when you think about the cross on the cross of Jesus Christ where he 
gave his life. If, if he were not truly God, his life, how could, how could he have given his life for all of humanity? He is, he is God himself. And, and he, is, he is the one who has come to rescue us. When we grasp that Jesus really is God, that actually, yeah, he can do something about our situation, that he is powerful to save, then we see the reason why it tells us in Hebrews 4 to hold fast our confession of faith. Do you see that in the end of verse 14? So it says, well, I'll just read verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So because we have this great high priest, Jesus, who is God, who's passed through the heavens, he's the king, then what? Let us hold fast our confession. You see how that works? So because we've got Jesus, our great high priest, who's, who is God himself, who is the king, who is in control, let's hold fast to our confession. How does that follow? Well, it follows because... Jesus has all authority. In, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. There's not one bit of authority that Jesus does not have. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He rules supreme. There's nothing outside of his control. And so, why should we hold fast to our confession? We should hold fast to our confession because we have a great high priest who really is God, who really can actually help us and do something about our dire situation that we find ourselves in, of our sin. Uh, he's, he is the king. He's the king of the universe. Um, if, if we were putting our hope in anyone else, then they wouldn't be able to help us. Only God himself can rescue us from our sin. Only God himself has the kind of power and the kind of ability and the kind of grace and love to rescue sinners. None of us could do it. None of us could could save ourselves. None of us could save anyone else. So if you if you were to uh, put your trust in anyone else there, you would have no reason to hold fast to the confession because the person would come up wanting and fall short. But Jesus never falls short. Jesus is always good, always supreme, always perfect, always glorious. And he gives us great confidence to hold fast. Uh, if you think about uh, all of us, we can uh, the way that we feel, the way that we are, we can have good times and bad times, difficult times, um, and, and Jesus experienced all that. We'll get to that in a bit. But what I want us to see is that Jesus is consistently always perfectly good. When we look at ourselves, I know in my life, there are many times where I've sinned and done the wrong thing and, and haven't, haven't loved him, haven't honored him. But Jesus is the perfectly obedient son of his father, the perfect God himself. And no other priest will do. No other mediator could ever bring about this, this reconciliation between us and God. And since Jesus is that ultimate priest, you know, he, he is God himself who, who came, took on flesh and came to this world, we now have access to God in a mind-blowing way. Uh, the thought that Jesus Christ is now in, in the throne room with the Father um, and <laughs> As I'm laughing because my daughter's running through the thing with a blanket on her head. Um, yeah, anyway, so because Jesus is in the throne room with the Father, uh, we now have direct access to God. Um, not, not like a, oh, hey, you know, you need to, to come here in order for me to give you access to God. No, 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 no. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. 
Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can mediate that relationship. And he is in the throne room with the Father. And he is on the throne himself. And so when we grasp some of those facts, we realize that the ultimate one, the God of the universe, he hears us. And we have Jesus right there in his presence, bringing our requests to God, interceding for us. And also, we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts for all of us who've been born again into the, in, in Jesus. And so, God's presence now lives in us. And so, that amazing, uh, intimate relationship that God offers us is, is, is now uh, realized for all of us who are born again. And so, why should we have great confidence? Why, why, why should we hold fast to our confession? Because we have the great and glorious God and Savior who rules all things, who has done all things and who, who, who can and has acted to help us. Once we grasp that, that he, is, he is God and that there's nothing outside of his control, we realize that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Uh, there, there, there are many people that you can trust in this life, but all of us are going to let one another down at some point. But Jesus will never let us down. He gives us great reason to have confidence in Him. Uh, he is always consistent in, 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 in submitting to His Father's will. Always perfect, always sinless and wonderful. Uh, and so as we look at that, we see that we have every reason for confidence in Jesus and no reason for confidence outside. To put confidence outside of Jesus is futile. But not only is it futile, it's dangerous. It, 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 is, it, is, it will lead to judgment. We don't want to go there. We want, we want to put our trust in Jesus, the only one who can help us. But with this, this in our minds, the question naturally arises, how can Jesus, who is fully God and who is in the heavens and who's the ultimate king of the universe, how can he understand us? So yes, he has direct access to God. I get that. But like, how, how is he going to represent us? How, 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 why would he represent us? Um, how can he understand us? How can he guess us? It's clear that he's there with the Father, um, but, but how, how is he uniquely placed in relation to us? How does he bring us to God? Have a look with me in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see that? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This part gets at the fact that Jesus is fully human. You know, we've looked at how Jesus is fully God. Jesus is also fully man. Uh, we're in the period of uh, the, the Christian calendar known as Advent, looking forward to Jesus' uh, return, uh, first coming and then second coming. Um, and we're continuing to wait in anticipation. But this passage teaches us that in Jesus' first coming, in him coming to earth, he took on flesh and he became a human. And not, not partly human, not a bit human, fully human, fully man. He, he, he is fully man. He remains fully man. Uh, and so there's a word, it's called the incarnation or becoming incarnate. That, that's the technical term, bless you, for, um, for when for when God took on flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus did all of those years ago uh, in, in Bethlehem. He, he, he came and he was born. Uh, he came in and he, he, was, he was conceived and, and, and grew in Mary's tummy and then was born. 
And and so we we have the God who who isn't distanced himself from us. Uh, sometimes people, when you talk to them, they kind of think, oh, you know, maybe there's a God out there somewhere. Maybe there's some higher power, but, you know, does he really care about me? Does he really have any kind of inclination towards me? He clearly hasn't involved himself in the universe. But he came. He came to this world. And he came and he was born as one of us. And he grew up as one of us. And he endured everything that we go through. He says that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to deal with struggles and challenges and the difficulties of life. He knows what it's like to have people mistreat you, uh, people hate you, to feel the grief and sorrow of losing a loved one. Uh, he knows, he, he gets it. Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like. He is fully human and he sympathizes with us. Uh, much like in Exodus where we've been working our way through, where God saw his people's suffering. You remember that? He saw the slavery, their harsh slavery. He saw and he knew. Here we see that in an even more amazing way because not only does God see and know the suffering, um, you know, looking down from heaven, God comes into this world. Jesus Christ then sees and knows and goes through suffering for us on the cross and, and in his life. And what amazing truth that is, that, that God himself uh, would take on flesh and that Jesus Christ would endure that suffering, knowing what it is to go through all of the difficulties of life. It says here that um, he has in every respect uh, has been tempted as we are. Now, that tempted word can be tried as well. There's, um, there's, a, there's a few different ways that's used. So firstly, Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are. Jesus went through temptation. Uh, we read about this in Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4, where Satan tempts Jesus. Now, there, there's these accounts of how Jesus was in the wilderness and then Satan is trying to, trying to get Jesus to sin. He's, he's, he's trying to entice him to evil. Uh, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He was in, in that desert. He was, he was tempted by these things that Satan was trying to, to offer him. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to have Satan offering him things that aren't right. And that, that's an experience that we all go through. Uh, we, all, we all know what it's like to be tempted, to have uh, Satan offer us things or you know, things that are, that are put before us that we think seem attractive and that we want to indulge in, even though we know they're wrong. Uh, we, 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 but the, the, the crucial difference, which I'll get to in a moment, is that Jesus never gave in, uh, whereas we, we all have and do. So he's been tempted as we are in the terms of, of, of like when Satan tried to tempt him. Jesus has been tested in every respect as we are. Um, this, this word that's used for tempted is the same word that's used when the Pharisees are grilling Jesus, when the religious lawyers of the day uh, try and turn the screws in and, um, and try and test Jesus and expose him. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to um, expose him. And Jesus knows what it's like to face these, these attacks, this kind of persecution as well. He knows what it is to be tried unjustly. Uh, he was given a mistrial, a dodgy trial that was set up with the purpose of sending him to the cross. Um, and he knows what it is to be wrongly sentenced to death and murdered. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. Um, maybe you're facing a trial 
or a temptation at the moment. Uh, Jesus has been through it. Jesus gets it. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, does anyone get me? Does anyone actually understand what it's like to, to be me, to, to live my life, to deal with the challenges and the suffering that I'm going through? Jesus gets you. He's been through what you're going through. And not only does he get you, he can help you. Let's see what the rest of verse 15 says. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Those are glorious words. Without those words, we're all doomed. You see, Jesus not only sympathizes with us, he not only gets us, he can actually do something about it. And he has. That's what he came to do when he came to save us. Only one who is perfect, without sin, without any taint of selfishness or evil or opposition to God could save others. Only a perfect one could save others. In, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were made. And if you remember, they were to be without spot or blemish. They were to be the, 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 the best of the best, the lambs that were untainted. If you offered a dodgy lamb, <laughs> that, then that's, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's not a perfect sacrifice, is it? Jesus is, the lamb imagery is used for Jesus in, in the New Testament. And Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb. He's the one whose blood truly can cover all of our sin. He's perfect. He's without sin. He has no taint of selfishness or evil or any other taint. He's perfectly submissive to God, his father. And he offered himself on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The once for all sacrifice uh, for sinners like you and I. The spotless one. The amazing thing here is that our great high priest is himself the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, uh, we see the, the, the priests offering different kinds of sacrifices, but they wouldn't offer themselves. They actually had to make sacrifices just so that they could do the job. They, they had to offer a sacrifice so that then they could offer the sacrifices for the people because they themselves were tainted by sin. Jesus is not tainted by sin. Jesus is perfect in every way, loving, kind, compassionate, gracious, glorious, amazing, awesome. That's, that's who Jesus is. And so there is no need for him to offer any kind of sacrifice for himself. He is offering sacrifice for others. And not merely a, an, an animal that would, like in the Old Testament, need to be offered again and again each year. But no, a once for all sacrifice of himself. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He went to that cross and gave his life. The, the, there was the dodgy mistrial and all the rest of it, but that was all happening according to his plan. Jesus says in, in, in the gospel, I lay down my life of my own accord and I take it up again. This is not someone who's caught off guard by the whole thing. He's planned it from before the world began and he can help us. You see, if you're wondering, does Jesus get me? Yes, he does. He knows what it's like. He's fully human. And if you're wondering, can Jesus help me? Yes, he can. He's fully God. He's acted to save. He's come to rescue us. Come to Jesus today. Do you know that Jesus has come to save you? Do you know that Jesus is the only one who can offer you hope and life and eternal, eternal life in him? Do you know that Jesus gets you? I think a lot, of, a lot of our world doesn't really grasp that. 
A lot of our world sort of thinks they don't know what to think of Jesus. But Jesus really does get you. He loves you. He loves each and every one of us. And not only does he get us, he can help us. Uh, That's what he's done on the cross. So then when we see this last verse here, it gives us great joy to read these words. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see that, that let us draw near, uh, it, that let us then, it's like, let us keep going. Let us draw near again and again and again and again. This isn't something where we go, hey, let us draw near and then let's just nick off and do something else. No, no, no. Let us draw near again and again and again to God. Let's draw near to Him. Draw near with confidence. With confidence. Now, if you think about in the Old Testament where we see how people before the throne of God were just absolutely awestruck and aware of their sin and aware of of the the majesty of God and how I'm going to die because I'm in God's presence because he's so blazingly perfect and I'm so sinful. When we grasp that and then we realize here what God is saying to us, it truly blows our minds. Like you, you think he's saying to you, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that same throne that God rules on, that we don't deserve to come to at all, let's go to again and again and again. And with what? With confidence that we can stand before this perfect, righteous God, holy and blameless in his sight. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of of, of who he is and what he's done for us. And so we have a truly amazing command here. You think like you, you read this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not let's run and hide, but let's, let's, let's draw near continually with confidence. How can we be confident in going to the, to the throne of grace? How can, we, how can we have confidence in going to God? We can have confidence in going to God because Jesus gets us and he's acted to save us. That's why. That's why. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now you look at those words, aren't they a great encouragement to us? It doesn't mean that all of our suffering is going to go away. It doesn't mean that this life is going to be easy. It won't. There will be difficulties and persecutions for for being a follower of Jesus Christ. We're warned of that in the scriptures. But it does tell us that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's what we need. Uh, we, we, we need the one who has walked before us to strengthen us as we go through the difficulties of life. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need him to, to give us the strength to keep going. And that's what he offers us. And isn't that the beautiful reality that he gives to us? So I don't know all of the things that each and every one of us are going through. Um, maybe you're going through a lot and, and maybe this is a difficult time for you. And uh, I pray that, that God helps you through it and strengthens you. And I also uh, want to just encourage you with these words that Jesus really does get you. You know, you may feel like no one gets me, no one understands, but Jesus has gone through it too. He gets you. He knows what it's like. He's been through it. 
He understands. But more than that, he's acted to save us and do something about it. He's the one who offers us life and strength and grace and the ability to keep going. That's, that's who Jesus is. And so let's continually draw near to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen.